Remember back when we could visit other people's houses? Faintly. Remember when you'd go to their loo and there'd be reading material and you'd accidentally stay there for ages reading the meaning of lift? I think that was just you, actually, Ian. Okay. Perhaps you're right. But I thought we should add that experience to our green room. What, a loo? <laughs> no, bathroom. some books for our guests to read while they're drinking the complimentary Chateau Lafitte and eating the canapes. Oh, yes. What sort of thing are we going to have in there? Well, I've got some good books about programming and software architecture that we could use. Oh, mate, no. Snoresville. I'm not sure that any of our guests would thank us for those. <laughs> Perhaps you're right. Well, it is Roald Dahl Day today, so perhaps we could provide some of his books, because who doesn't love those super nostalgic books? That's a great idea. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, I've got two copies of it, actually. Um, And James and the Giant Peach. It's hard to pick one, though. Perhaps a box set would be better. Oh, I know just the person who could advise us. Oh, who could that be? It's Mike from the Grove Bookshop in Ilkley. He's waiting in our green room right now and he can talk to us about Roald Dahl and I'm sure he's going to have some suggestions for books to keep our guests occupied whilst we ramble on. Well, why don't we just ask him? OK, let's open the door of the green room. Oh, special effect. Actually, it's not really a green room, is it? Because today we're actually recording... In an actual place. An actual place, as opposed to uh, Limbo, where we normally record. So we're in Mike's green room in the bookshop. Outstanding. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of uh, Dave's podcast. And actually, thank you for letting us come to your bookshop. It's a pleasure. Everyone's welcome here. We love it. I love it. Can I stay? I don't see why not. <laughs> you can lock up when I go home if you like. That's fine. You'll find me in the morning just <laughs> carrying on reading like blurry eyed because I've been reading through the night. Oh, what a wonderful uh, idea. Bookshop lock-ins. It's not a thing I've ever heard of, but I think it could be a thing, couldn't it? It has been known to happen, but not not deliberately. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I just found somebody lying down yeah, on a... There was a, a branch of a certain chain uh, which locked a customer in overnight a couple of years ago. Really? Yeah, Oops. and they didn't find until the morning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, the bookshop is one of the things that attracted me to Ilkley. Really? That's amazing. Yeah, when, when we came, we came on a visit, and we were sort of having a drive around. And as we drove around, at the church, they'd obviously got something going on there. And then in the pub, it looked like somebody was having sort of a presentation. And then we drove past uh, the bookshop, and you'd obviously got an event on, oh, and wow. somebody was talking. And we were like, <laughs> oh, this looks fantastic. We need to move here. Those were the days when we had events in the shop. Yes, <laughs> yeah. We've got some questions there, Ian. <laughs> well, I think we need to complete the question that we started, I don't know, half an hour ago or something. Which was, what Roald Dahl books should we place in our luxuriously appointed green room? Well, I think you can't, you can't go wrong with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Well, I can't argue with that. I, I love Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I actually did a little bit of a fangirl thing and bought my copy with me, which is the original one I read as a child. And when I showed it to Mike, he was like, oh. <laughs> It brought memories back, definitely. I remember that cover. I remember reading that book. It's interesting because um, these aren't Quentin Blake's no, no, illustrations, no. are they? No, it must have been. I don't know when his illustrations were added, but I remember that cover. I don't remember those illustrations, the new illustrations. Yeah. The one book I remember most clearly is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We're getting very nostalgic about this book in particular, but what do you think it is about Roald Dahl and his writing that is just so loved by all generations? He just wrote as a child almost. He wrote he didn't like adults. He didn't like the adult characters. And he had very strong opinions, but he put them across in a humorous way. 
So, I mean, if you read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, some of those those children, odious children, <laughs> obviously had qualities that Roald Dahl despised, whether it's watching too much television or being spoiled or eating too much or whatever. And it was tough if you shared those. I mean, I, my, one of my favourite characters was Mike TV. Because uh-huh. I, I was quite keen on cowboys and I enjoyed watching television. Television was a bit of a luxury at the time. And so I felt a little bit sorry for him when he, was, uh, when he got his comeuppance. But I went along with it because that was the story and that's, that was how, it, how we were looking at it. And Charlie was the hero and the other children obviously weren't up to scratch. He just wrote in, in a way that children empathise with it. Echoed their opinions almost, I think, and some of their life experiences as well. I think yes, definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were real. Ch- I mean, they, they were caricatures, but they're all real, real characters and real sort of uh, family relationships as well. Hmm. When I was growing up, um, my grandparents, my mum's parents, moved in with us because they they were getting a bit too old to look after themselves. So the idea of Grandpa Joe, Grandma Josephine, and everyone living in the house seemed perfectly sensible to me. You know, it wasn't unusual. Well, they weren't all living it, sleeping in the same bed, but it was... <laughs> <laughs> that always amuses me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it was real. It was real life in, in a weird kind of way. I love the names of the characters. I always uh, remember Veruca Salt. Yeah, yeah. And thinking, what an amazing name that was. <laughs> and thinking, nobody's called Salt in real life. And of course, now we live uh, near Saltaire, which yeah, is named yeah. after yeah. Titus Salt, who owned T- Mill there. Yeah, he was great with names. I mean, just thinking up ridiculous names. Boggis, Bunts and Bean. Yes, yeah. The farmers, weren't they? Yeah. Um, no, it just a love of words, I think, as well, and how mm. words sound and how words look, whether it's names or places or, or whatever. I think that it, there was a real relish in, in, in the way he wrote, and you could feel that when you were reading it because they, they read as well out loud as they do in your head. And that was the thing for me. So this is the original book that I used to read with my friend Kate. We'll include a picture of it somewhere so that that our listeners can uh, appreciate (laughs) the uh, joy that is this particular design. But when I picked it up, what surprises me when you flick through the pages is the the type that they used is quite small for a start and the pictures are different. But and I'm dyslexic and I'm not very good with made up words, but my friend used to read it to me. So we would take it in turns to read to each other, Um, not only with this book, with but with like A and Milne and lots yeah. of other things. And yes, that delight of listening to the story as well as actually reading it yourself, I think it reads really well. Yeah, definitely. The first, I mean, the first, my first rolled down memory is having Charlie, and uh, not Charlie, James and the Giant Peach read to us in school. At the end of the day, we had a chapter. Oh. Uh, and that's that was my introduction to Roald Dahl. I think I had that too. Yeah, I, I faintly remember that mm. happening at school as well. Although I'd already read it, and I'd already read everything. I mean, I, I was just a complete bookworm. I used to. We had desks under. We had um, drawers under our desks in primary school. Yeah. I remember stashing a book in there and pulling <laughs> the drawer out and reading it to avoid having to do, you know, boring something that wasn't reading a book that I wanted to read. So, what's your favourite role? Oh, I don't know. It's hard. I liked uh, I liked Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I loved Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I also liked Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, but I think that was really because of one thing, the idea that there would be a button that you could push that would whoosh you beyond the top floor. <laughs> and um, I'm pretty sure that Skyhooks, which I seem to remember being mentioned in that, are now a thing that, uh, a thing that the tech industry has that we, uh, we used something to do with cloud computing or something. 
Stop being I, geeky. I, I, so you were techie even then, weren't you? Yeah. I, I have <laughs> my inner nerd has never been all that much inner, basically. <laughs> you wear it on the slit on your sleeve. Yes, uh, um, and in every item of clothing, in fact. Um, so here's a question: Have you seen the films of any of the Roald Dahl books? Yeah, I have quite a few. And how do you think they've translated? I I loved the um the Gene Wilder oh, yeah. uh Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I thought that was fantastic because it made it kind of magical, a little bit eerie, a little bit realistic because they filmed it in Munich or somewhere, didn't they? So it was a little bit exotic, but not in a in a kind of rich way. It was it was just slightly otherworldly and slightly foreign and just just hmm. just the whole atmosphere of it was a little bit creepy. Um, it was funny, but there's always a bit of an edge to it. And then I saw the the Johnny Depp one years later with with for some uh, children and friends of that, and uh, I couldn't get into it as much. It was just a bit too slick and a bit too too calculated. I think. What about the witches? Oh, the, the witches! witches. I I, I was um I used to work at the Tate Gallery in Liverpool, and we had an outreach department, and we had what what was known as the media van which was basically a Ford Transit or a Volkswagen van painted with a David Hockney design. And we drove it up to the Lake District, to West Cumbria, and did three days of workshops for people. And we had a day off in the middle, and it poured with rain. Yeah. And we ended up in was Workington or Whitehaven or somewhere, and we went to the cinema, the three of us, three adults, and we went to see, a, there was a film, The Witches was advertised. And my um, colleague, Ray, who is a big film fan, said, oh, it's Nick Rogue excellent classic director we've got to go and see that and he hadn't really thought about it. we didn't realize it was the Roald Dahl film we thought it was a film about witches by Nick Rogue I thought it'd be a bit, <laughs> a bit edgy and then we we sat through it and realized what it was but really enjoyed it but in a weird kind of way because it wasn't what we were expecting but it was it was good that's my age for my older children terrifying yeah. absolutely terrifying and we have a member of our family who does have quite a strong accent. <laughs> and that put, placed her as one of the witches. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. But yeah, it's like, oh, the witches. And I used to use it as the voice, you know, when I was trying to sort of get my children <laughs> to be biddable. Never happens. But yeah. And, and do you, so when new films comes out, do you, do you see an uptake in sales of uh, Roald Dahl? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Well, we, we try to avoid film tie-in editions of books because they're, quite short-lived and but but we we do we do keep an eye out when a film comes out we'll obviously get mm. extra copies in and there is a, there is a lift with i mean the harry potter films were obviously a really good example of that yeah but with with roald dahl yeah um, and i haven't noticed so much because there haven't been that many films recently not big films and people i think the way people go to films and see films is more fragmented now you know if they're on the television you'd have everyone sitting and watching them on the same night or they'll stream them, or they'll they'll go to you know they'll they'll find other ways of seeing them, so it waters it down a little bit. Yeah, it's not like when we used to. No, no. There were three cha <laughs> three channels, and yeah, like Saturday yeah. afternoon you watched yeah. a film. But because in all my time as a bookseller, it's always been important to keep an eye out for what's what's going on in the media, what films yeah. are on, what TV adaptation, and it was a lot easier twenty years ago. Yeah, it's a lot harder now because you get publishers bombarding you. You know, such and such is on yesterday plus two next week, and you think, well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's on the telly, but it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> no one's going to be watching it. So, and, yeah. yeah, and and who buys books these days? Like the Roald Dahl books, you know, because yeah. obviously they are nostalgic. Yeah, is it grandparents? Is it mums and dads? Or is it kids? It's everyone. It, kids buy them. They love them because you know they they because they're still colourful. They're colourful, exciting looking books. 
the designs, the illustrations, the colours. They go for them that way. The parents love them because they remember them. Grandparents buy them. They, they want to buy a set of them. Quite often people will come and buy half a dozen of them because they, they enjoy them, get them for their grandchild or, or their child. So it's everyone, really. They are classic books. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When I first worked here, I was amazed at the kind of thing that people still read. Things like Millie Molly Mandy and the Moomins. Oh, goodness and, me. You know, uh... Teddy Robinson and all this kind of thing. I thought, well, they've obviously stood the test of time, maybe in, in pockets like Ilkley where people are more likely to read that kind of thing. But Roald Dahl, they, did, they have, they've just never, never gone out of fashion, never... Never I lost obviously am a big fan of Millie Molly Mandy because <laughs> obviously Mandy's my nickname for my family <laughs> and I have all of the books yeah. and I have some really old editions yeah. of that. But yeah, I think maybe now Roald Dahl has gone into that sort of classic genre. I think so, it? yeah. I mean, when, when were the Charlie books written? I will just have a look. 60s? Ian's Googling. I'm going old <laughs> school with my uh, book here. Um, but, but first published in 1964. Yeah, that's Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. First published yeah. in 1964. So when I read it, it was about ten years old. Yeah, about the same for me actually. Yeah, so it had been around for ten years then. It had bedded down, obviously. And do uh, do people read um, Roald Dahl's adult uh, short stories? Not as much. We, I mean, we have we have so we we do have them in have some of them in usually, and the two volumes of autobiography. Boy is more popular. Mm. I think they, they they do it at schools, at primary schools, quite a bit as well. But yeah, the the short stories, a bit of an acquired taste, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you grow up like me with the tales of the unexpected? <gasps> yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> All that music now, I can hear yeah. it. I mean, that that's a totally different Roald Dahl, isn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. When I was an au pair in my sort of like late teenagers, I had a, a great big hardpack version of all his short yeah, stories yeah, and yeah. read that kept me going for ages but yeah they are different yeah i don't a, think people realize no, a lot no. of the time that he wrote for i think adults. You, you maybe see the real role dark coming through i think maybe he's a bit straight jacketed by writing for children i mean he wouldn't think so to read them but when he really lets himself go he, he, i don't know yeah. some of those books are terrifying <laughs> witches for, yeah, for yeah, instance yeah. oh my goodness That's so yeah. yeah so out of the books that you've got on the shelf because i'm sat right next i can't really move but i am sat right next to the Roald Dahl books which are your favorites is it the adaptations so like the coloring books or the, the there's a Roald Dahl dictionary which is really Ooh. good so it's all the words that he invented um, oh, outstanding oh that, yeah. that's good <laughs> i'm gonna that. have to, i'm gonna have a look see if i can find it not sure whether it's there at the moment, but um, it should be behind, just over your shoulder. There are a couple of creative writing books I themed, that. yeah, the which is just yeah. I think words like you know, frob scuttle and whipple scrumptious and whiz bang and whatever. And um, what's the one for helicopter? Because we actually use that in our family now. Um, helibopter or something. I can't remember. Yeah, it? it might not be there at the moment because we we might have sold it earlier. For those of our listeners who are wondering what all the clattering about yeah. is, Amanda <laughs> is now. Finally given in to her strong desire to root through the bookshelves. She's promised to put everything back later, though, so yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's okay. I used to work in the library. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> They'll even be in order. There Without you go. a safety net. Oh, oh no. Well, I'm just going to get... Oh, rhyme stew. There's yeah. loads more here that I didn't even yeah. see. We've got revolting rhymes there as well. Uh, well, we all we know might not. my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, normally it's a big flatter book. Yeah, I think we're missing a few things there at the moment. But we've got two different sets of the novels. 
we've got the ordinary, the standard ones in the general fiction section. Then there are some larger format ones with colour illustrations, same books, and they're, they're really popular as well. Is that Quentin Blake let loose? She's abandoned her microphone altogether. The dictionary isn't there, is it? What's the green one that's backwards on the shelf? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was Matilda, was it 25th anniversary or maybe more, 30th, 30th yeah. yeah? And they brought out, I think, four different designs with Matilda in different careers on the front. So oh, wow. Director of the British Museum and... <laughs> yeah, astrophysicist. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't find what I'm looking for. No, never mind. Go sit yeah. down on this little stool here. So I'm getting the strong impression that the modern editions are really doubling down on the Quentin Blake illustrations. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Is he still producing them for them? Is are they new or are they I th- just I think I, I don't think so. I think they're the, the illustrations they've had for. Because I, I, I have vivid. I read loads of books when I was young with those Quentin Blake. Yeah. Pictures in so many. He was everywhere. I remember him on Jack and Ori. Occasionally, he would be the the, the guest reader on Jack and Ori. Yeah. He'd draw his own stories as he read them. So it was a bit bit of a novelty. Where? Yes. Where? Oh. Jack and Ori. Well, I'll have to include yeah. a link to that. Yeah. yeah, There's no yeah. hope that anyone under the age. No, of no, <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody's going to know what we're talking about. We're all about showing our it. age here. Yes. So, talk to me about revolting rhymes. I obviously have a, a great love of the revolting yeah. rhymes book. Is it still as popular? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it is. There've been a couple of children's books, picture books, recently, which have revised the Red Riding Hood story with you know. Riding Hood being the villain or being the strong character and, and the wolf being a kind of coward or whatever. And I think people love the subversion of, of the original mm. story because everyone knows the story. And because the, the stories are so well-known by children, when they see it turned upside down, they really understand what's going on. They appreciate it because at that age, the stories you know best are nursery rhymes and fairy tales. So they're able to understand what's happening with the story just as we all like a kind of a remake of a film or, a, or something just told in a slightly different way. But that's the level that children can really see the, what's, what's happening and the, you know, the, the jokes involved. And I like the empowerment of a woman that keeps her pistol in her knickers. Well, exactly, personally. yeah. There's that, I mean, that's, that's the, <laughs> the point of the Red Riding Hood one. Feminist retellings and, and just kind of generally more modern retellings yeah. uh, they love. So that, that's why... Revolting rhymes are so popular, and they're funny. And you've got the the word thing again, the language. Yeah, there's some, and yeah. there's some naughty words in there as well. Yeah, <gasps> I basically as an aunt, <laughs> it's my rebellion <laughs> coming at me when I buy that from my nephews and nieces. Can we, do you think, get you to read a bit of a book, and then we can just add it as a little bit on the end of this episode? Yeah, I don't yes. see why not. Oh, that yeah, would be yeah. amazing. It's just come to my mind. Not a whole chapter, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just leave you here. <laughs> this is the story of Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, like a, a chapter a day or something. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I was thinking before when we were talking about James and the Giant Peach when I heard it read at school. And I think the way you imagine things when books are read to you, I think it might be different from the way you imagine it when you read it yourself. Mm. Because you quite when you're reading it yourself it's all happening inside your head and it's a totally internal thing whereas if someone reads it to you every emphasis they put on a word or on a, on a character or when they describe someone their personality comes out through it as well and you're not seeing it the way they see it but you, you're just seeing it slightly differently and what you the picture you have in your head is is a little bit different from the way it would be otherwise i think we can all remember like a teacher who used to read 
So we had a teacher, yeah. Mr. Williams, who read um, The Weird Stone of Brissing and Young. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. I'm thinking of Mrs. O'Brien, who read to us when we were in what's now year five. And I can remember Anne Frank's Diary, James and the Giant Peach. That might have been earlier, actually. That might not have been her. Carrie's War. But Carrie's War. Brilliant. And also, because she was a big fan, one of the chalet school books. Listen to a school, a class of boys and girls, but no one really batted an eyelid. It was just a school story, you know. It's same as Harry Potter is, really. But yeah, just I think she just read her favourite children's books too, isn't that? <laughs> My aunt is an author. Um, she writes her crime fiction. Oh yeah. She introduced me to Jennings books. Oh, I love. I would yeah. I would cry with laughter reading those books. <laughs> they just hit the right spot at that yeah. particular point in my childhood, and I just found that to be hilarious. And that's almost the closest thing to a precursor to Harry Potter, really. Yes, isn't it? yeah, yeah. Although it's much more comedic. Yeah, I I um I remember one of my birthdays. One of my friends gave me a, a Jennings book as a present. That was the, that was my introduction to them. Jennings Little Hut. Yes. And I loved it. I was at that age about ten, and when I got to 11, I, I was kind of expecting secondary school to be like that. Yes. It wasn't yes. disappointing. It's created some very, uh, very wrong <laughs> expectations. Yeah. You know, I have no idea what you two are talking about. It was about two boys at prep school. Oh, okay. Jennings, who was the hero, and his friend Derbyshire, who was a bit of a, a geeky, bespectacled little boy. Jennings was more kind of sporty and outgoing. Jennings meant well, but he always got into trouble. And there were two teachers, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Carter, who was the voice of reason, and then Mr. Wilkins, who just went off on one every time anything went wrong. He got furious. He said, doe, before Homer yes, Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> he said, doe, you silly little yeah. boy, all the time. Yeah. You better not do this again, or I'll, 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 I'll well, you just better not do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a, like a Mallory Towers, Famous Five, yeah. um, Secret <clears throat> Seven. And that's what I kind of imagined like childhood to be yeah it's funny isn't it famous five i read and saw it as a story but the secret seven i actually imagined me and my friends being there because mm. it was it was more urban wasn't it yeah and swallows and amazons and in fact i'm pretty sure my kids all through their childhood thought they were in a, like a chapter of swallows and amazons. <laughs> you did your best <laughs> i did my did best for that i even got a little boat like a red, red boat with a little red sail the five find outers though we must acknowledge the importance of the five find outers and dog the mystery books that Enid Blyton oh, wrote. Gosh, oh, yes. Yeah, like the mystery yeah. of the missing necklace and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I love the, the those. They made me laugh a lot. There's an adventure suit. Castle yes. of Adventure and the Island of Adventure. Yes. Oh, I lo- yes. Oh, yes. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Basically, all we're doing is just talk about books yes, that yeah. we really liked. Yeah. Obviously, you get a lot of kids in here. When, when we came to set up, yeah. there were some kids sat reading. Mm-hmm. How do you think that that sort of helps shape their lives? Because we clearly love all the like the adventure book. Yeah. But do you still do you think that's still the same for kids these days? It, I think there are a lot more um, attractions and more demands on their time. There are lots of other ways of being entertained. But I think you've got to have somewhere where you can find these things. And if you grow up with books in the house, then that's great if your parents' children's books are still there and you, you've got a starting yeah. point, haven't you? I spent a lot of time in the library as a child and I loved that because I would, you know, you could take out so many books a week. So I'd I'd take out the maximum and then I'd I'd sit there and read a couple while I was there. <laughs> so just might as well while I'm here, you know, get get a couple of extras. Bookshops, that's like a weekly thing going into town. 
Charlotte. We didn't really have a local bookshop other than the W.I. Smiths. So I think, yeah, I think the chance to come in here and see things, children's sections in bookshops are always, these days, much brighter and more colourful than the rest of the shop. People really make an effort. I wish we had more room to do it. I tell people, and I think this is about right, I haven't counted it exactly, but as far as I can work out, the section in the shop will be about a tenth of the shop. And I think children's books make at least 20%, maybe 25% of our Mm. daily sales. Because you can tell just by what comes in the next day. There's an awful lot of children's stuff. Obviously the same stuff sells until you change it. I think kids love it. I think I wish we had more room for them. I wish we had a bigger children's department where they could really, especially at the moment when space is limited and and distancing is is such a big thing. It's hard because you want you want them all coming in during world book on world book day which is about a fortnight three weeks before lockdown we had school groups coming in and looking around and that was brilliant you know 20 kids from one of the prep schools come marching in and just (laughs) milling about i think it's heartening actually that i find it encouraging that children are getting books and and buying books and, and reading because sometimes it feels a bit as though it's a you know it's a losing battle against all the other media and yeah, games yeah. and all the kind of stuff i find it encouraging that that's the case it is yeah i think that there's that acquisitive thing where they want to get something when they're out they want to buy something and parents have always had it wherever they've gone in in town and when they come in here they think well at least they're getting something that they're going to get something out of you know so they're quite happy to say right yeah you can have a couple of books because um it's a low cost it relatively is it is it, it is people people say all oh, books are expensive but they're not they're, they're I mean, paperback books relatively, are no more expensive than they were 20, 30 years ago. And you can feel good about buying a book for your child yes, in a way yeah, that you yeah, can't feel yeah. good about buying them a Mars bar. Exactly, yes. When Alan Lane of Penguin fame devised the idea of the Penguin paperback, hmm. he said it had to be no more expensive than a packet of cigarettes. And an adult paperback now, eight ninety nine, nine ninety nine tops. I don't know how much a packet of cigarettes is, but I, I bet Tell it's... Us. yeah. So, you know, it's the same, yeah, over the years. And so they haven't gone up. Obviously, everything goes up. But I think people who say books are too expensive are just the people who are still expecting to pay in shillings. And (laughs) (laughs) Do you get people coming and buying their favourite books again and again? So, like, mine is Tess the D'Urbervilles and uh, the amount of copies I've gone through that and Wuthering Heights, actually. uh, Yeah. you know, to continually Cla- classic buy, books it? are really interesting because 10, 15 years ago, if you went into a Waterstones or any other bookshop, the classic section was so dark because of penguin black spines everywhere. Mm. And it, it was so dreary and worthy. And, and it was great when the books, were, you know, it doesn't mean the, the books were that worthy. But now it's partly because of the, the rise of Amazon and ebooks and everything. The publishers have had to make a bit more effort, and classics particularly are so much more colourful and brightly bound. They've got hard, new hardbacks, lovely cloth-bound hardback editions, attractive, quite reasonably priced. Bit of design classics. gone into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're attractive to look at. They're the kind of object you want to have, and, and they're also really good a book good inside. Yeah, They've got yeah. the words in them. <laughs> yeah, and, and the hardback thing is great because you, you if you've read Wuthering Heights or... Pride and Prejudice, whatever, it's your favourite book ever. And then you come in and there's this really beautiful, cloth-bound, colourful, tasteful edition on there with a ribbon in the middle. You think, I've got to have that. Uh, Don't tempt me any further. To go with my other six copies. (laughs) (laughs) 
the remains of the other six yes. copies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm a great note taker in my books yeah. as well. So I uh, I came into the shop last week, didn't I, to replace a copy of a book that I was reading for a future episode. I had to replace it because I love writing notes in the margins of books. Is that a bad thing? Am I allowed to do that? No. Once okay? once you bought it, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If a cat you doing it in the shop, there's trouble. <laughs> Okay. But you could also f- try and float it off down the river and dunk yes. it in the bath and all the other things. Yeah, that's the other thing. You see, I used to love reading the bath until I had to wear glasses. Now that never works. It just, no, it doesn't at all. Sadly. But I think I think the thing as a child reading, to sort of cut back to that, um, as a child when you're reading and you are in challenging or difficult circumstances, having a book, you can completely lose yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what Roald Dahl tapped into didn't he some of like if you think about matilda she yeah. was she had a really tough time yeah horrible time yeah um maybe that's part of the attraction of his book that kids can relate is it well it's something that's totally yours isn't it you don't have to share it with anyone what you read and what comes into your head as a result of that is, is totally personal i mean it might have been put there partly by by someone else but from the fact that they wrote the story but the pictures that you see in your head and everything else, that's you. And it's its magical, really. You think about it like that. You can just pick something up like that and be transported and you know, go into your own little world. And that can be why films can sometimes be so disappointing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the number of goes that there's been of the Lord of the Rings yeah. films. <laughs> and they have never lived up to what I read many times no. when I was a teenager. No, you can't. Uh, did you see the the cartoon version they made in the yes, like 1980? I, that was bitter disappointment. <laughs> that this only is the got kind of thing. Halfway through book one, or something. Yeah, they <laughs> they they realised that their ambition was probably about the same as Peter Jackson's, yes. but their technology was not <laughs> in line. Neither, neither was their budget. Amanda was alluding to the fact that when she moved to Ilkley, the existence of this bookshop was a a, a factor yeah. in, in choosing to to come and live here. And I totally get that. I think that's a, mm. an incredible, it's a really great story, actually. But obviously, independent bookshops, it's, it's a difficult, I guess, era, given all the competition from bastard mail order giants, <laughs> whose name we shall not speak. So what should people do to help their independent bookshop? Go and visit. Go and say hello. Have a look around. Use the websites. Anything. Just show them a bit of support. Engage. Yeah, yeah. Go, go and say hello, have a chat, have a browse. Definitely use use websites. We've all got websites now and we can all sell stuff online. Uh, follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You'll see things that you wouldn't see in the shop. An idea of our personality just from watching us on, on social media as well. Well, we're going to include all the links to your websites and social media in the notes for this episode. Brilliant. So people will Great. find it super easy to find you. And if you live in West Yorkshire, in fact, if you live in West Yorkshire or North Yorkshire <laughs> or the United Kingdom, you should definitely come here, come to Ilkley and visit the Grove Bookshop because what an amazing place. I'm, I'm quite captivated. <laughs> we love it. I could basically live here. That's because he's locked the door. <laughs> <laughs> also, I have to add, yeah. we'd lived here for about six months um and sort of like been popping in quite mm. a lot before we even realized you've got it downstairs <laughs> like, oh there's more there's more yeah yeah 
No, we've got a, a travel and music downstairs, yeah. Yeah, which is how my husband got to play trumpet in a band. Ah, really? Mm. Yeah. Throw notice down there. Oh, so. fantastic. <laughs> it wasn't that he was down there playing the trumpet. No, no. He takes his trumpet everywhere. So, yeah. Thanks to Mike for joining us, or should I say us joining him at the bookshop. I think it might be time to read James and the Giant Peach again at least. And I have fantastic Mr Fox ready to go. I think I'm feeling brave enough to face Boggis Bunsen Bean once more. Come on, you can do it, Ian, you can do it. And we'll be back soon with another amazing guest. And I thought we could introduce an artful clue about the day that we'll be celebrating with them. OK, go on then. What? Introduce the clue. That was the clue. Arr. Of course, I knew that. The best way not to miss out on this and future episodes is to visit our website at dayspodcast.com. From there, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and others and find links to our social feeds. If you follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook, you might just find that you're pursued around the internet with ads for chocolate, giant peaches or lollipops. And that's just one of the many benefits that you can get from being connected to us. We are very excited to be on the brink of a double figures number of episodes. But we still need you to rate us in your podcast app and tell people about us, whether that's your friends, families, colleagues, people you meet playing cosplay, roll doll characters, especially the twits. Yes, tell them all about us and the literary but modest and exquisitely tasteful day's podcast. Thanks for listening and bye bye for for now. now. This is from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's chapter 11, The Miracle. Charlie entered the shop and laid the damp 50 pence on the counter. One wonkers, whipple scrumptious, fudge mallow delight, he said, remembering how much he'd loved the one he had on his birthday. The man behind the counter looked fat and well-fed. He had big lips and fat cheeks and a very fat neck. The fat around his neck bulged out all around the top of his collar like a rubber ring. He turned and reached behind him for the chocolate bar, then he turned back again and handed it to Charlie. Charlie grabbed it and quickly tore off the wrapper and took an enormous bite. Then he took another and another, and all the joy of being able to cram large pieces of something sweet and solid into one's mouth. The sheer blissful joy of being able to fill one's mouth with rich, solid food. You look like you wanted that one, Sonny, the shopkeeper said pleasantly. Charlie nodded, his mouth bulging with chocolate. The shopkeeper put Charlie's change on the counter. Take it easy, he said. It'll give you a tummy ache if you swallow it like that without chewing. Charlie went on wolfing the chocolate. He couldn't stop, and in less than half a minute, the whole thing had disappeared down his throat. He was quite out of breath, but he felt marvellously, extraordinarily happy. He reached out a hand to take the change. Then he paused. His eyes were just above the level of the counter. They were staring at the silver coins lying there. The coins were all five-penny pieces. There were nine of them altogether. Surely it wouldn't matter if he just spent one more. I think, he said quietly, I think I'll just have one more of those chocolate bars. The same kind as before, please. Why not, the fat shopkeeper said, reaching behind him again and taking another whipple scrumptious fudge mallow delight from the shelf. He laid it on the counter. Charlie picked it up and tore off the wrapper. And suddenly, from underneath the wrapper, there came a brilliant flash of gold. Charlie's heart stood still.